what really fills my inkwell, what really turns my page. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a writer alternative to grind my gears. And maybe it's not working because I'm I'm not really complaining about stuff. But welcome to the Friday update. Two Fridays in a row means it's now a Friday update. So I'm glad to say hi. This is Sarah from the B2B Writing Institute. And the main thing on my mind this week is just getting obnoxiously sick on Sunday night, thanks to some kind of stomach bug. It could have been a single unwashed grape, but I'm not going to go into the science on that. I just know that I've learned a lot about life in the past week, and it definitely got me thinking about my business. And it helps me understand business majors more, too, because I always dismiss them as superficial or capitalistic or whatever. But it really is when we're talking about work and especially freelancing, the only security you have in anything is money. And when you think about working for a company or working for yourself, companies have more security because they have more money. It's not just because there are other people there that it's now more secure. If anything, I'd argue the opposite. With more people, there's more insecurity because there's more links that can break. But that's just the pessimist in me. But as a freelancer, if you need more security, the only way to do that is to make more money. So <laughs> that's where the pressure to make six figures comes from. That's where the pressure to work more, earn more comes from. But with writers, there's something in us that's because we're so worthless, the only way to make more money is to work a bunch more. Whereas I want to put that pressure on charging more, like become more valuable, then you can make more and you can live you know, the professional life. And if we break that down into numbers, it's interesting because when you move into the freelance space, if you work for yourself, you aren't making 50K a year if you're earning 50K per year. That's your revenue. 20% of that is taxes. Maybe 20 to 30% of that is benefits or the time that you can't work. So to take home 50K per year, you actually have to make more like 70, 80, 90K per year. And I'm making up that math because I want to get the point across. That's really bad news that we have to earn more and it feels more stressful. But the good news is that the only thing limiting how much we earn is ourselves and our ideas about our worth, the skills we have, the things we know, the things we've been doing. So your work is worth more than you know. When you learn about that and you practice that, you start to see that, you can charge more and you can get to those really professional income rates. Have we not found a good way to talk about this yet? But I just mean a professional income that you feel like when you take time away from your life and family, it is financially worth it. Anyway, another thing that came up for me is just this idea of time off. It feels like a mystery in freelancing, but it is not a mystery. You just have to work ahead. <laughs> but what that looks like is scheduling only three or four days of work per week and then working five days per week until you're sick or you want a day off. And that way you're already ahead. What really trips us up, what trips me up is that scarcity mindset that says, let me fill the time. Let me say I'll do it earlier. Let me not push this back for the future. And we end up being too optimistic about what we can get done. That is me to a fault. I will build a 12-hour day with 12 hours of work for me and then be shocked when I can't make it past hour eight. I do this constantly. So high-performance writing, freelancing, it becomes about energy management, focus management, hitting your peak performance, and just giving yourself the margin to actually feel good throughout your day. This has been a big revelation and focus for me this year. 
And working through these questions, it also had me start to think about the different levels of writers that I see come across the B2B Writing Institute. I see that as level one, two, and three. So a level one writer is just concerned with generating some income, almost literally any income from writing. So a $50 blog post is a win. A $10 blog post might be a win because it just proves that there's money there and that you can do it. Most commonly, you're going to see this with people who have a full-time gig and they're dipping their toes in. Maybe they're at home with their kids and they're going to try it out. Or maybe they just need extra income on the side. They don't really intend to move all the way in. But the problem with that is when you're grateful for a $10 blog post, there's nothing in you urgently reaching for a $100 blog post or a $1,000 blog post. You don't have that internal pressure that creates that structure for you to go after it. So I think a level one writer it's a great place to start, but if you feel like you're sputtering or not making progress with something, it could be because you're still looking at everything you're writing as a bonus, as something out of the ordinary or not in your professional wheelhouse. Now, level two writer, they have those higher standards. It's just not terribly urgent. Maybe they have a spouse who makes a good income or a really great nest egg. Just that, that pressure to earn is not quite as there. So you're moving up the ladder, but if you got sick, if, if everything came to a point, you could take a week off without worrying about rent, like that pressure isn't quite there. And I think that is a wonderful place to be. Those are probably the happiest freelancers I know are the ones who put that pressure on themselves, but they can also take it off. They can set it down to rest when they need to. And then a level three writer, which I only feel okay talking about because that's where I am, is where it's just super high pressure all the time. When you write for your income, and especially if you're the breadwinner of your family, when you're bringing in the primary income for your family, you can't just wait to be in the mood to write and you can't wait to be in the mood to prospect. Having those systems and having standards for yourself about how you behave around your work becomes so, so important. So important that you just can't do this if you don't put those things in place. So when people talk about how incredible a capacity planner is or how they've never thought about the pricing rubric the way I have, I think it's just because no one's had to think about it. I haven't had to think about that stuff until it became urgent for me. So I've really gotten to see this whole spectrum of writing where I was level one when I was writing Demand Studios articles on the side as a teacher. I was level two when my husband was a teacher and we had benefits through his job. And level three when he came home to lead the kids. And when I say capacity planner, I'm talking about Ed Gandia's capacity planner. I'm going to put a link to that in the notes. It's just a beautiful spreadsheet that shows how you're choosing to spend your time each day. I've upgraded mine quite a bit. I put emojis in. It's color coded. It's almost like having little stickers and I love it. But it gives me really clear time blocks for the day. And most importantly, especially in the past six months, it's forced me to stop being so optimistic, which you'd think would be a bad thing, but it ends up being a really good thing. When I first started out using Capacity Planner, I realized I literally scheduled myself for eight hours of creative work every day. And then I was wondering why I was so burned out and why I kept struggling with my deadlines and why all this stuff was happening. And that was eight hours of creative work not counting one to two hours of phone calls, not counting one to two hours of email, heaven forbid if I went on social that day. So now I can see I need to try to keep it at two deadlines or less per day, ideally not on Fridays or Mondays because I just know myself and I'll procrastinate. I try to only do two creative blocks per day. So that's Pomodoro sessions of 50 minutes, 20 minute break, 50 minutes. 
and then two hours of phone calls per day. Every week I check in, have I overscheduled myself for that day? Am I setting future Sarah up to just be a horrendous person when she comes home? And if so, I now know to move it around and let go of it. Give people lots of notice and figure out how I can make the schedule work. What has been really interesting was how anxious I felt after I had a few quote unquote perfect days. So when I went in, I stuck to my inbox timer. I stuck to the two sets of Pomodoros and I stuck to the one phone call or whatever. But I'd get done with my day at like 4 or 4.30 and I made a promise to come home early because I'm working on that work-life balance. And I would feel so much anxiety about things being okay. I would feel this impulse to check my inbox, check social. Surely I missed something. Peacefulness cannot be a state of life for me. And it just struck me how much I have to adapt to feeling good. Like you'd think feeling good was our default, but I'm not sure it is anymore. So the anxiety, as it turns out, is what I need to work on, not necessarily the work itself. Work's been fine. Work has been fine for 10 years. And I keep amping myself up, staying late when I don't have to, being in work mode when I don't have to. And it just, maybe it's from getting old, but that sense that passion doesn't have to mean 24-7, I can choose to be passionate at certain times of day. I think that's been really freeing the past few weeks. And most importantly, this whole process is why being sick for three days this week didn't completely derail my life and have me staying up pulling all-nighters as I would have as I definitely would have even five years ago. I had already set up a week where there was only one or two deadlines per day, one or two calls per day, and very clear spaces where I could move things back if I needed to. It was not ideal. I had to reschedule some really important phone calls that I did not want to miss. But now, future Sarah, because of those decisions I made on Sunday night and Monday, I am in a much better place. I had a healthy, fairly happy week, minus toddlers crying. Whereas in the past, I would have worked 12-hour days, I would have been burnt to a crisp, and I wouldn't have been able to enjoy this Friday and make this podcast and teach later today. So that is the Friday update. I'm going to go get ready for the guided writing happening this afternoon. Today is catch-up day because I realized the two times we did it, day one and day two were just so rich with information. Everybody needed a day to just sit and think about what happened. So today we meet, we answer any questions, we go through people's docs and talk about their ideas. And it's just a really nice low-key time together. Kind of like a, it feels like a graduate seminar on writing now that I think about it. So I'll think if I can work that into my branding. But this has been super fun. If you're liking this podcast, we should get to know each other on social. I'm sure you can find it, but also b2bwritinginstitute.com. And I think eventually we're going to start adding some reader questions because I get a lot of those and I have some from inside the membership that we've got. And I think that could be really fun to talk through. So if you have a question, just head to bwritinginstitute.com. If you get on the list, you can hit reply to any email and get right to my inbox because, like I said, it's just me. 